Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. I am so excited to have the uh, Hollywood medium, celebrity clairvoyant, Tyler Henry on today's episode. Oh, he is such a sweetheart. I... I can't say enough good things about him. We talk about how he has cultivated his intuition, how he's turned it into this uh, kind of remarkable and ever-growing career, the skeptics of mysticism. Um, his pants-shitting story is absolutely mystically, magically wonderful. And uh, the reason... And the funny story behind uh, how we had a misconnection when we first started to record this episode. So please enjoy Tyler Henry on this episode of Not Too Deep. Tyler, I'm so excited that you're here. Well, I'm uh, so excited to be here. I had such a blast last time and I'm just, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk briefly uh, on our This Might Get um, web series. And so I'm really excited to just kind of like dive deeper with you here on Not Too Deep. Uh, you were saying before we started, you have a funny story for me. <laughs> I do. So this was okay. originally supposed to happen about a week ago. Yeah. And I was excited for it. My assistant had told me that it was on Thursday and it was an actuality. I think it was, it was either on Friday. I got the dates mixed up. No and worries. so I was really excited. I was in the middle of Mojave Desert on, on vacation the day before I was supposed to do this. Yeah. And being a medium, you know, what I do is very polarizing. So I get text messages from kind of random numbers, usually from churches or organizations that are like, you know, get an yeah. idea of what I do. And so, so I'll get like, you know, God's glory is great click this link or, you know, sometimes <laughs> the other day I got one that said like, repent now, Tyler. And so they'll send wow. like a link to their, their church. So I'm in the middle, middle of the Mojave desert enjoying my vacation. And I get a text message that just says, grace is waiting for you. And I, and I thought, well, so is God's glory. I showed my boyfriend. I'm like, they're not even sending links to their churches anymore. Like, this is ridiculous. And then I got a call from my publicist and I was like, oh my God, I did not see that coming. Good job, psychic. Like, whoops. So yeah, thank That's- you for your patience uh amazing um and also i mean it's like a beautiful and also like very threatening text race is waiting for you unsafe number i was like oh wow they're getting ballsy i love it uh but you're here now how was your vacation oh it was good i was able to unwind i've been able to work virtually which has been great so i'm sure you can relate you know it's a whole new world now but yeah i've acclimated now, when you go on vacation, because I feel like you're obviously a person that could work every minute of the day and probably kind of does in your own way. Uh, do you really try to unplug? Do you really try to like, um, you know, do some things that are good for the soul? Totally. You know, when I have time off, I definitely don't go clubbing or anything like that. I, <laughs> I really try to go to places that are kind of in the middle of nowhere, like Mojave Desert or, you know, being yeah. in nature is nice. Um, but yeah, I think for anybody, it's just important to recharge, especially when what you do um, you know, revolves around energy and exchange. I think anyone in a public you know, field or anything where you're having an interaction, I think you, you definitely have to conserve your energy. Yeah. Now, OK, for people that don't understand, let's just go really basic on how do you describe like what you do as a medium, as a clairvoyant, uh, uh, these terms that people kind of throw around without, I don't think, fully understanding what they are, uh, probably the reason that you get so many threatening <laughs> tags. So how do you describe what you do? 
Well, as a medium, I really just, in the most simplest form, describe it as being a conduit for information. And mm-hmm. that conduit is, is really something of an ability in the sense that clairvoyance is the way that I receive information. So okay. I get very strong mental images. Clairvoyance is a French word that means clear sight. So mm-hmm. generally people who are clairvoyant have very strong um, dreams, mental images. Sometimes it's just like a waking daydream. But mm-hmm. that's kind of my primary way that I receive information. Uh, be it about living people, people who've passed. And it's just fundamentally an intuitive process of which I think everybody has the capability to connect to on some level. Yeah. I don't think everybody, you know, is maybe set to, to do readings, but everybody can get a first impression. You know, you yeah. shake someone's hand for the first time, you get a vibe. I think people discount that. So I think we all have the ability to connect to that deeper inner tuition. Wow. And so I agree with that. The, uh, and I think people, like you said, everyone has some level of ability to connect into that. Others deeper than others, I'm sure. Now, when did this start showing up for you when you were a little boy? Well, it was the weirdest thing because I grew up in a household that really didn't talk about this kind of thing. We weren't into spirits or ghosts or whatever. And, yeah. you know, a pretty Presbyterian, you know, conservative family. Mm. But my grandmother was my best friend and I grew up as an only child and still am. Yeah. And she was just my, my everything. And at 10 years old, I actually, I woke up one night and had a knowingness that my grandmother was going to die. Yeah. And at the time it, it, it wasn't really anything, um, you know, visual. I just had had this knowingness that she was going to pass and I didn't know how to explain it. So I went to the yeah. room, I was upset, trying to explain this feeling to my mom. And as I was sharing it with her, her phone rang and she said, okay, hold on. And she picked up her phone and it was my dad on the other end, giving my mom the news that my grandmother had just died. Wow. So that was really the catalyst. But at 10 years old, you don't recognize that as an ability as much as it's just something that happens. Mm-hmm. And it took time of these kind of moments of knowingness to occur, to kind of identify it as something I could do. And so... When you, was it like a, um, a decision that you made to start cultivating this and paying more attention to it? Or was it just that I can't ignore this, this is happening. And I, you know, even if I try to push it away, it's still there. Uh, and if you did make a decision, how did you start like going deeper with that? Well, from the ages of 10 to 13, it was really just exploring these kind of random things. I would get impressions. I I call them impressions at school around, you know, other students and what was going on sometimes at home in their personal lives. And then that started translating to getting feelings about teachers. And then I started Mm -hmm. sharing these feelings with teachers, which as a kid was very risky growing up in a very conservative town. Uh, So I had these extremely close bonds with these people um, in the sense that they weren't skeptical because what I said had relevance. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it really was an explorative process. And then I graduated high school when I was 16 years old Mm -hmm. to try to become a hospice nurse because high school was very difficult. Um, What I do is very polarizing in part, I think, because it is ideological, kind of like politics in the sense that anything ideological, you're going to get opposition. So I I had to navigate that. And anything that anyone is passionate about in high school at that age, I feel like people are so ready to discount or disprove in some way, let alone it being something extremely like uh, spiritual in that sense where kids are still trying to figure out what their personalities are. And yeah. you're talking in a different realm than where everyone's at right now. So you wanted to be a hospice nurse and then you started paying more attention to this. How did we go from that to then you're on a TV show doing all of this? 
So word of mouth spread really quickly. And I always yeah. believed, you know, when it comes to mediums, psychics, you shouldn't have to advertise extensively. If you're real, yeah. if you really are able to bring through valuable information, people will tell their friends, they'll tell your family, tell their family. So yeah. um, word of mouth spread very quickly. And by the time I was 17, I had people coming to my front door, leaving notes. Um, mm. And it just kind of was more than I was expecting in, in sure. all honesty. So I naturally just kind of started reading more people. I was charging, I think, 30 bucks for reading to try to pay for textbooks. And yeah. <laughs> not, not a lot of money, but um, <laughs> it was just an inundation of, of requests. And then I started getting driven to Southern California where I started doing readings. And then naturally, you know, you meet, meet people in the industry. One thing led to another. But uh, when it comes to the television show, I really had yeah. to prove myself. Um, the executives at the time received readings, but then they had me read people that they picked that there's no way I could have known. So wow. friends, family, and I kind of was put through the ringer to make sure that I could really do what I could do. And yeah. being, you know, at the time, I think it was like 19, it was really yeah. nerve wracking to be put to the test in a big way, but I'm thankful in hindsight because it was a precursor to what I would face, you know, doing my job every day I on, on some level have to prove myself in every reading. Yeah. What's the difference for you when you're doing it publicly and with cameras on versus, you know, a private reading with someone? I mean, do you feel a, a difference or is it not really? So the process is the exact same, but how I go about it um, can vary. So I, I liken my ability to that of like a, a mailman in the sense that I'm not writing the letters. I'm just kind yeah. of delivering the message. So <laughs> yeah. I have a responsibility when I'm in a public platform to articulate what I'm getting in a way that's honest to what I'm getting, but also considerate of that person's feelings and maybe yeah. people who aren't in the room, particularly with celebrities, we dealt with that because they live such public lives. They sometimes yeah. have a lot that they don't want public. Um, so I've kind of had to learn how to say things diplomatically, get the message across. Mm. And I would just say readings on camera for public figures are probably the hardest. Um, yeah. I much prefer just reading everyday people. They generally have less baggage. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and they usually are just more straightforward with validating whether something makes sense or doesn't. Yeah, I mean, you really had to cultivate your, I guess, reading etiquette in that sense. And I'm curious too, if there is, or if you recommend like uh, people that are getting read for the first time are curious about being read. Like, is there an etiquette for the person being read? And if so, what? Totally. You know, I would say number one, if you're interested in seeing a medium, do it through recommendation. So okay. go or find somebody that has seen a medium and had a good experience and go to that person versus, mm -hmm. you know, going to a palm reader with a neon sign, you know, in a walk-in <laughs> situation. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the world of mediums and psychics is not regulated. It's not like, uh, you know, mm. contracting where you can get a license and you pass a test. So unfortunately, right. anybody can claim to be a medium. And that's why I put so much emphasis on the validation, on the readings, um, I think you can honestly get a sense of someone's legitimacy on an intuitive level. Um, if someone's yeah. presenting themselves as an angel card reader and they were certified by another medium or they went to some fancy schmazzy medium school, yeah. those are red flags for me. Um, <laughs> I think going through recommendation is most important. And in the same way that you wouldn't really just call up a random 1-800 number to get a consultation on your health, like with a doctor, right. you, you kind of want to make sure you're going to someone that comes with a high regard. 
Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, that obviously makes total sense. Are there mediums that work in the space that you admire or that you've kind of tracked and, and, or like mentors that you have? Well, you know, growing up, I didn't have any mentors really. And yeah. that's kind of what was so, I think, difficult in, in, in my life of kind of having to learn on my own. Um, yeah. The hard way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are a number of mediums that I do admire. And I, I think we all work very differently. But John Edward, you know, is, is mm. one of the first. He kind of paved the way in a big way. Um, but everyone's process is so different. I think people assume mediums get along, you know, really closely and that we all can kind of relate, but I've learned everyone's process and way of doing things is so different. It's actually hard sometimes to find the commonalities. Interesting. And do, have you found that your process has changed or evolved uh, over the years that you've been doing this for so long? I would say it's gotten clearer. I feel like my ability has been more refined, but that's only Mm. came with confidence. I think nerves are a big hindrance to intuition and doubt. I mean, really, we second guess ourselves very often. And it's why we kick ourselves when we don't go with our intuitive hunch. And then we find out in hindsight that that would have been a good idea. Um, So yeah, it's it's definitely, I think with experience comes a certain stability and a certain strength in yourself, even separate from psychics, just as human beings. Time shows us that we can get through things that we thought we weren't able to get through. And when we can, I feel like that adds to our character and just you feel more grounded in who you are. Yeah, the. um, It's so interesting, especially, you know, I know one of the kind of like tropes of your show was that you didn't know a lot of these, you know, big celebrities that you were going in to read. Is there a celebrity or a a person of note that you know that you would like to read? Like, do you have a wish list of people that you'd like to have conversations with? Yeah, you know, it's funny. In the beginning, in season one especially, I came from this little town in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. No pop culture. And then as I, you know, had a TV show, I did become more familiar with more celebrities and whatnot. But I I found that in doing it, um, whether someone was an A-lister or a D-lister, it really didn't matter. I I loved when people were kind. And I feel like you could Mm. feel that kindness. And I that to me was what mattered the most when I would leave an interaction as far as my excitement about that person. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but that said, I, I find just really interesting people. Everybody's interesting to me, but like Tanya Harding would be a really fascinating <gasps> reading. That's former a- Olympian. Yeah. Oh, you know? that would I be just, great. People who have a lot going on who, who might benefit from some sense of resolve. I feel like that's where my ability shines. And I think she's somebody who has dealt with a lot of scrutiny and has mm-hmm. experienced a lot of loss and it would just be interesting to meet her. Wow, what an interesting answer. I would never have guessed that for you, but I would love to watch that segment. For sure. Uh, Let's talk about what you do in your free time because I've noticed on your Instagram, you're into stained glass lately. Yes. How, How did this happen? You know, the the quarantine got me desperate for (laughs) for hobbies. I was just staring at my walls. I was like, what am I going to do? Then I looked at my window and I'm like, oh, that could use some little bit of a shush. So I started making stained glass and uh, it's just been a really fun hobby. Anybody can do it. I think anybody who's interested, it's not that hard. It's very simple. It just costs a little, about probably $400 you have to spend just to start on the hobby. But once you do that, like you're smooth sailing. So I, I encourage anybody to do it. It's a really like tactile hobby. It's it's gratifying because you can see it, you know, at the end. And hold yeah. It. I mean, it's such a, it's such an interestingly specific uh, <laughs> hobby that I didn't realize that just anyone could pick up. I've also seen that like your dad helps you with it. You and your dad seem like you have a really 
cute relationship. Yes, yes, we were so close. You know, growing up, my parents were were more conservative, and you know, on many fronts, I had to really kind of just be true to who I was with them, being gay, being a medium, and with yeah. that kind of came a, a lot of coming outs. So, yeah. in, in time, I think there's a Maya Angelou quote: uh, "When we know better, we do better." And my parents really embodied that, that when they were working with more information, you know, they adjusted and they put their love for me before their love of their ideology, um, which was really a testament to how good of parents they are. So we're we're very close. Really beautiful stuff because could easily go in a different direction. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And for a while I thought it would, but you know, I got really lucky. That's beautiful. Um, Okay. You, I'm curious now because you've, You've written a memoir uh, and now you have another book coming out, correct? Yes. What is it like to like shift focus and and, like sit and write a book? (laughs) Well, with the pandemic, I did have a lot of time uh, (laughs) to do that. And I was actually recovering from a lung collapse um, shortly before the pandemic broke out. So I was in bed for like months and months and months, had a bunch of complications. Um, But I was able to write the book in that time. So I had a lot of free time just kind of look at the ceiling and think about, you know, (laughs) life thus far. Um, And it it really, the second book, uh, which will be coming out uh, early next year. Uh, okay. It was really just a culmination of kind of what I've learned in the past few years. I think I you know, wrote a memoir when I was 19. I feel like at 19, how much of a memoir can you really write? I mean, you're still a child. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I like to share new things that I've learned, update, you know, people with, and you also give, um, you know, tidbits that you don't see on the show and, and kind of celebrity anecdotes, which keeps it interesting as well. Fun, uh, fun. Uh do you take like do you journal do you take notes after readings do you like like kind of like compile all of those experiences sometimes ones that are particularly profound i'll take note of and just uh, you know kind of jot down the, the significance to to write about later but yeah it's it's one of those things where you know after reading i also kind of have to often shake it off and a big part of shaking yeah. it off is sometimes not revisiting it mm. and that's one of the interesting things in writing the book i was so surprised by how many emotions came to the surface Oh, and equally, when I watch my readings, I actually have a very hard time watching them on TV because I get emotional. <laughs> I get emotional yeah. when I'm watching it in a way that I do not when I'm actually doing my job. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. You're almost like an athlete that like when you're in the game, you're so focused. And then when you go back and watch your old tapes, you're like, wow, no. that yeah, was intense. <laughs> um, OK, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, um, I got to know about Nancy, of course. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Hi, friends. Grace Helbig here from the podcast Not Too Deep, which you are currently listening to, hosted by me, Grace Helbig. Just wanted to say a couple of things. One, thank you so much for listening. And two, if you are enjoying yourself to such a degree that you'd love to leave us a... Um, review on the Apple Store, that would be so appreciated because, again, you are very appreciated for giving us your time, your ears, your attention, whatever it may be. Uh, And that was my couple of things. Now back to me, me. Okay, let's talk about Nancy. (laughs) 
how how did this beautiful creature end up in your life? Oh, she is a dog wonder, and she's actually yeah. going to be on my new series coming out. So <gasps> she's uh, she's definitely a star now. But uh, she we got her about a year ago, and it was actually unfortunately my previous dog had passed kind of in an untimely way. So mm. we got her kind of in the midst of grief, and I think yeah. animals just provide such an unconditional love for me. It's the best thing that I could have done in that moment. And yeah, uh, you know, I think they just the love you get from from animals it, it transcends even the love you sometimes get from humans and I oh, think it's very special a thousand percent now uh did you get a vibe from nancy uh, when you were uh, in in search of a, a creature to bring into your home she just came into our life we actually had a friend who gave her to us so it was like my my previous dog had passed and then the next day it was just this gift so you know they uh, say divine timing i think it, it works out so that's Wonderful. And uh, will she be going on tour with you? You know, I wish. I mean, we need more puppy pads to really pull off that. Team, but you know <laughs> yeah. what? Maybe season, give, me a couple, give her a couple of years to get potty trained. We'll see. Well, let's talk about tour. So you're about to go back out on tour. Yeah. Um, what? Do, how do you like conceptualize your tour? What goes into that? Yeah, well, it's really a two-part show. The first, I'd really just explain how I do what I do to give people mm -hmm. an understanding of the process and some of the most meaningful kind of lessons behind it. Yeah. And then it's a live audience, you know, reading. So I go out and I read. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes there's uh, 3,000 to 5,000 people present and I'll try to do as many readings as I can in that time. Wow. And I never know what's going to happen. It's really the most nerve-wracking thing in the world because I just go out and I have to trust that something's going to come through and it's going to make sense. Um, um, so it's very emotional and I think even if someone doesn't receive a reading, they can see the readings that do happen and mm -hmm. I believe get a sense of comfort or understanding and, and that's really what the show is all about. I feel like the audience kind of goes on the journey together yeah. through these one-on-one -on -one readings. Do you do any rituals or anything afterwards to just like recharge your batteries? Because I can imagine it's very draining to do that yeah. in front of thousands of people. Particularly when it's day after day after day. Sometimes yeah. you know, have multiple days booked in a, in a week and you, know, you have to get on a plane and fly. So I, I really kind of got a better understanding of like, you know, rock stars who have a hard time going to sleep and then having to wake up and go back on tour. It's, it can be really overwhelming, but um, I actually physical to shake it off. Like I do exercise yeah. after usually uh, jumping jacks, just anything to kind of like try to recenter and refocus, I think is important. Yeah. Um, well, you also said that you're in a relationship. Yes. Is it, I can imagine that it must be, um, you know, different to get into a relationship and explain to someone what yes. you do and how you do it. How did you guys meet, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. So uh, in season one, he actually had seen the show and he tweeted me. We live mm. in very modern times, right? It's not like the yep. most romantic thing in the world, but you know, it <laughs> slid into those DMs and the rest is history. But ah! he, he actually had gone through a, a significant loss. His, his grandfather had passed from, from suicide a, a couple, uh, oh, wow. shortly before we, we had connected and I was able to communicate to his family um, mm -hmm. why he ended his life and it, yeah. it was validated by those who knew him it was a very private thing and I, I think it just gave a lot of closure uh, and comfort to them to get that further validation but as a result yeah. of that he and I had an immediate bond uh, because ah. he had gone through this loss and we connected in a really profound way and now it's been five years we start we live together immediately uh, wow and you know you know us gays it's like <laughs> Rapid fire, honey. We're, we're speeding this up. Plans, but, plans, plans. Exactly. Yes. But it's, it's been great. So I'm very lucky. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, 
is there ever a worry from him that you're you're reading him or are, do you guys have house rules, ground <laughs> rules of everything? I definitely do read him and it happens randomly and sometimes the most random things will come through and <laughs> we'll oftentimes have to make a phone call and ask his mom, call her in Georgia and she's yeah. like, oh yeah, you know, that happens. So it's really just more bizarre than anything. And I think one benefit of being very intuitive is you do kind of get a sense of um, the, the essence of a person and whether you're compatible. And yeah. that I think in my own life has been the greatest thing that I've gotten from my ability is really that discernment of like who I'm going to resonate with and mm. who might be best to avoid. And that's been a gift for me. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an invaluable <laughs> asset. <laughs> I also saw on your Instagram that you were reading the Red Book, uh, a C.G. Jung book, uh, and I'm studying a little bit about it now. Ha- are you just getting into this? Have you been into depth psychology and all of that for a second? Oh, I'm such a newbie, but I, I find him me too. Me too. Yeah, so cerebral and so beyond my pay grade. I always tell people that, <laughs> that man was working on a whole other level. But uh, his belief in archetypes, I really resonate. Yep. The idea that there's patterns on multiple levels, you know, in, in within us, within yep. others. Um, his connection to mythology and the belief that mythology kind of connects to modern day and that you can look to myths to see how our lives often go and play out. Yeah. So I definitely resonate with those aspects. Is are or is or are there um consistent signs or symbols that you stumble upon more than others if you're just out and about or if you're doing readings? So one of the interesting things in meeting with thousands of people is I've kind of learned what they recognize as signs. And I've learned that it's mm. kind of interesting how many commonalities people's uh, connections to these signs are. And very often, and it was confusing initially, people, you know, connect with birds, butterflies, dragonflies. Yes. Butterflies are bugs, massive. <laughs> anything flying around. For some reason, people have a genuine spiritual connection with and, and yeah. often view it as a sign. And I really think the reason is this, that these things really just are symbolic. They represent mm-hmm. transcending, being above it all, yeah. uh, much like a bird. If you even look in, in biblical texts of angels being depicted with wings um, in art, uh, more mm-hmm. than the actual biblical text, that was to really symbolize them being in an ascended state, kind of above us, watching yeah. over us, looking down upon us. So I think why people might connect with doves, butterflies, dragonflies, all of that is, is because it is essence, just symbolic. It's an archetype almost in and of itself. Totally. Is there, do you have a specific animal or symbol that you connect with? Oh my gosh. You know, they change constantly. So I'm sure. know, I usually just kind of take a sign for what it is. And um, I haven't had too many repeating ones. Some people see numbers frequently and attribute that to, to a sign. Mm-hmm. I don't so much. I don't, I don't quite have that. Um, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, because um, I'm also a newbie in that whole world and I could talk to you for a long time about all of that. Um, but I'm going to uh, kind of shift the mood a little bit and uh, ask you the two questions I ask every single guest that is on the podcast. Um, and the first is, and I'm really interested to hear your answer who, <laughs> alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like spaghetti at. and it can be any intention of toss that you'd like yeah, that is funny <laughs> maybe Ayn Rand oh okay that's my final answer <laughs> I don't think we've ever gotten that answer everyone's gonna uh, google be like who's Ayn Rand <laughs> yeah exactly how do I spell it <laughs> right uh I love that. Any particular reason? Uh, you know, we just don't, we, we were just on very different pages in life. And <laughs> <laughs> so bring you together in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, okay. The other question I ask every single guest is to tell us your worst pants shitting story 
or like a bathroom emergency. Yeah. However, you can only use three words or small phrases to describe the event. So for example, mine is college jogging front lawn. Oh, wow. Okay. Mine would be Oh, enema, you have one immediately. <laughs> enema with mom. Oh, no. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Your parents have really been there through all of it. Through the thick end of the <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, no follow-up questions there. Wonderful. <laughs> um, okay. Now we, we do this section called Deep and Hot, uh, where I'm going to ask you a deep question. Um, and then I'm going to ask you for a hot take on something. Okay. So the first uh, deep question, the only deep question I have for you is when COVID was at its peak in 2020, was it overwhelming for you as a clairvoyant to sense illness and death? I would say just from a human level, even separate from being psychic, the amount yeah. of collective stress and, and pressure there was so overwhelming. And I think anybody who's just more empathetic, I think really dealt with a lot of issues, especially being alone and, and sure. seeing the state of the world. So I, I would say my ability certainly didn't uh, make things more comforting for me. But yeah. uh, at the same time, you know, it, it, I think we've all we're all on the same boat here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Um, okay. Now I would love your hot take on um and you've kind of touched on this a little bit on the uh people that are kind of you know completely closed-minded to any sort of spiritual or mystical realm yeah oh i would just say uh as far as that goes you know everyone has different ideologies some people kind mm -hmm. of are uh, convinced from the get-go that we're spiritual beings living a physical existence and other people yeah. you couldn't convince them no matter what um mm -hmm. i think with the nature of what i do there's often conversations around skepticism. Yeah. Um, I think critical thinking is so important. I value it to an extreme extent. I think that's how you learn new things. Yeah. And so I encourage people to think critically. But when it comes to, uh, you know, cynicism, it starts being difficult. I think with skeptics, you have all kinds of skeptics and skepticism mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily equate to intelligence. We have mm -hmm. vaccine skeptics. We have climate change skeptics. We have people who are skeptical that the world is spiritual. So yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, I think seeing the nuance of things, that things are not black or white, uh, at least puts us in a place of being open to seeing where the evidence leads. Yeah. The, um, that's such a uh, beautifully put and respectful <laughs> answer on all of that. Uh, I'm curious do do you watch TV or movies? Do you? If so, what are you watching? What are you taking in for entertainment? So just the the most mindless stuff possible. I love Below Deck. Uh, yeah, Robert Below Deck. I'm yes. like got Mediterranean. Love me some Captain Sandy. Oh. Uh, we've got uh, Gypsy Sisters, which I probably would oh. not air in this day and age in, in 2021. But you know what? It was it was certainly a chapter in TLC history. Yes, I was going to say, was that. that from the Learning Channel? The <laughs> Learning Channel, the prestigious <laughs> Learning Channel, Gypsy Sisters, and I think Extreme Gypsy Makeover. Well, there's something there. Anyway, yeah. that franchise, it's excellent. Amazing. <laughs> oh, I love, yeah, I'm also a big Captain Sandy fan. Um, okay. uh, my claustrophobia would never let me work in that kind of situation, but I'm constantly fascinated by it. Yes. Um, I've also seen you tweeting a lot lately about UFOs. Yes. <laughs> um, and kind of tweeting in a, uh, a a flirty way with that. It's not just, you know, extraterrestrials. There's sure. possibly other ways to think about it. I'm curious, uh, how do you think about it? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I think in the past year, we've made great strides in the subject of UFOs. For decades and decades, it's been considered a fringe topic. And then recently with the release of the Pentagon um, videos, which there was multiple, um, the Nimitz incident was really compelling. It was taken um, on a a ship and and it was very evident that there was, um, you know, something anomalous that was being detected with military radar. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't just a person with a camera phone, you know. Right. Um, And I think through that, now we have a whole group of people dedicated to inform in Congress about the subject. We've made great strides in it. But I think a lot of people, when they think UFO, they automatically assume little green men. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't particularly resonate with that in the sense of I think it could just be so much more than that. Yeah. Um, there are uh, theories around something called the interdimensional hypothesis versus the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And yes. that theory states that these things could be from other dimensions and may actually not be from other worlds, but may be from our world, just mm-hmm. kind of in a different way. So that's that's a theory I resonate with, but nobody knows. And I find it fascinating. Oh, it's super. I've also heard all these theories that, um, you know, the the creators of uh, the Marvel Universe are kind of in on all of this and that <laughs> their their content is priming all of us to actually be able to handle <laughs> these concepts that would blow our brains and distort our religious realities in so many different ways, uh, which is why I, uh, I I don't know exactly what I believe, but I'm fascinated by every angle of it. And uh, the idea that Loki could be really priming us for that specific thing. I'm going, what an interesting way that we need to watch TV in this capacity and learn about it in these fantastical stories to start being able to digest it in our reality, whatever We've gone down the rabbit hole. We've gone deep, but exactly. It seems almost archetypal. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Okay. Okay. Before my brain spirals into mashed potatoes again, I'm going to take one last break. And when we get back, uh, we have some questions um, that need some advice that maybe you and I can uh, work together on. So (laughs) we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Okay, we're back, Tyler. And... I have a question for you that I thought is um, relevant to uh, what you do and, and the the way that your brain works. So this person writes that they have never written to a podcast before, but they were recently confronted with the imminent morality or mortality of uh, their parents, specifically the father who suddenly and unexpectedly is now in the hospital waiting to undergo open heart surgery. They're an only child. Uh, and as a loss uh, feels overwhelming at the idea of losing a parent, uh, found themselves feeling scared, sad, anxious, but also has a weird sense of, well, this will happen to everyone. Get over it. Don't know what kind of advice I want from this. Maybe just writing this email was enough. So I'm sure this is a lot of what you process with people at your events and your readings. What are your thoughts on this? Well, as an only child, I can really relate to that sentiment because I'm so close with my parents and I really don't have much extended family on both sides. So when they pass, I'm in effect going to be alone unless I'm able to be with a partner for a long time or Mm -hmm. uh, maybe have children. So it is just from an existential perspective, very difficult to contemplate the inevitability of death. I think that's natural. And I think if anything, it's a reminder of, you know, why we want to stay alive and keep going. And in my work as a medium, you know, I've learned that because even though it is inevitable, I would say 
it's just all you can do in the present moment is just honor those who are with us. We don't know yeah. when we're going to lose our loved ones. We don't know if it's going to be in 30 years or tomorrow. And I think mm. if anything, I've learned in my work that readings are not a cure for grief. Right. They're just a reminder that there is a continuation of life, but we are meant to grieve. We are meant to mourn. We are meant to go through those very difficult human experiences. And I think no spirituality uh, ever is going to really fill that void. And that's okay. I think that's part of the spiritual process is having to weigh mortality, come to terms with it and grieve physical loss. Yeah. I, I think I saw you post something about how we tend to assume that grief will shrink over time when really we as vessels should be growing around our grief. Totally. And I think that's just a, a really beautiful way to put it that um, going back to the Marvel stuff, I don't know if you watched WandaVision, but one of the more profound lines is that what is grief if not love persevering? Yes. And it was, oh, it hit me in such oh. feels. It was so beautiful. And like Absolutely. just a much more gentle way to process very intense feelings. Totally. And not to be too corny, but they do say that the, every tear you shed is a testament to the love. And that really is what it's all about. That's beautiful. Now, <laughs> another question for you. Have you ever thought about doing any other job? <laughs> like, no. is there ever anything in the back of your mind that's like, you know what? I'm going to go check out law for a second. <laughs> Day trading, maybe like a <laughs> professional blackjack. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a number of things, maybe horse racing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it'd be very tricky, especially now because I've created such a you know thing around being a medium. I don't think I could probably do much kind of in an incognito way with a, a secondary <laughs> job. But people ask me kind of in the same vein, like if I were to ever lose my ability, what would I do? And yeah. I think I would just spend my whole life um, sharing what I learned in the time that I did have my ability. So mm. I feel like we're, we're kind of a package deal at this point. And so is the the book that's coming out next year, is it all finished or are you it still is. in the process? Okay. Yeah. So I was able to finish the audiobook, and it's called Here and Hereafter. And oh, it's available great. for pre-order now, but it will be out early next year. Were there any things that you had to cut? Did you have to be very discerning about what you included and what you didn't? Because I know it's very easy for people to become, um, you know, obsessed with the potential behind the scenes drama of any of the famous readings that you've had. But I'm sure that you were like, I want to give profound advice at the same time and not just be like, Chloe farted in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, I, I definitely had my first copy and then I it got revised and re-revised and kind of softened. Because, yeah. um, you know, I genuinely respect the people who, who I've met and of had course. the honor to read. But I've had a lot of variety of, of different personalities. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely has been a lot. I, I do tell a story about meeting Larry King for the first time and he was using the restroom and uh -huh. I walked in on Larry King using the restroom uh, like actively and he turned around and he screamed and I screamed and I just we just had a moment where we were making eye contact like full full birthday suit situation and uh, then we had to go right into our interview and he was like, I thought you were psychic. Didn't you know I was in there? And I'm like, clearly not. And then it was very awkward. So I, I do tell that story, which I had to uh, revise. Uh, but Larry King, it was very regal. It was, you know, it was a whole thing. Uh, that <laughs> is, I mean, talk about an impression that you get from someone. First impression, you know, that burned in my mind forever. I love that. Now, is the... Tour tickets are also available for anyone that's interested. 
They are my website, TylerHenryHollywoodMedium.com. It is a mouthful, but I do have tickets available there. I'm going to probably about 36 cities as of right now. So if you're interested, you can see them in a town near you. <laughs> Great. And people can expect that you, like you said, you talk about what you do and then you spend time with the audience doing as yes. many readings. Yeah. The goal really is to just share as many readings as possible. And I, in my last show, ran like an hour over <laughs> the time. Mm. They were like, Tyler, you need to end the show. You keep, you know, we're, uh, we're going to shut, shut the lights off. So I do as many as I can. And it's just, I get on a roll and uh, yeah. it, just, it just happens. I'm very thankful. <laughs> is there a... I'm assuming no, but is there a, um, you know, genre of audience or like an age group that tends to show up more than others? Or is it just kind of across the board, anyone and everyone shows up? So initially in doing it, it was just primarily middle-aged women. And then as time went (laughs) on and then people started repeating, coming back to multiple shows, they started bringing their husbands. And now half the audience is, is male. So wow. uh, we get all age demos, a lot of elderly people, you know, who are naturally asking questions about their sure. mortality. Um, but we've got a lot of young people too. So it's, it's nice and all different cultures and backgrounds. And I think it just speaks to the universality of the question of what happens when we die. So Yeah. I'm, I, I'm so interested to hear how it goes this year, especially after the year that everyone has been you know, processing in their own time. So I'm sure it's going to be very interesting to say the least. Yes. Um, Tyler, this has been so fun. We're reaching the end of this, but before you go, um, we like to give our guests a little gift. Uh, We make personalized horoscopes for our guests. And uh, I think Melissa is going to uh, put it for you in the chat. If you'd like to read it out loud for all of us. Absolutely. All right. Let's see. Dear Capricorn. Oh, you know, I'm a Capricorn. Uh Oh, done your research. (laughs) Oh, we were just hoping the internet was right. (laughs) Barbara Walters over here. We got it. All right. (laughs) Dear Capricorn, sea goat of the stars, the new moon from the ninth will encourage you to make bolder commitments to either Mm. your business or your love. Bolder. Mm. So basically you're going to figure out if you're going to get literally married or if you're just married to your job. Something. That is deep. I'm going to have to ruminate on that. That's like ocean <laughs> level. Like, nice. I would, uh, yes, take it very seriously. We know what we're doing over here. I believe uh, it. I just got read to filth. There you go. <laughs> now, Tyler, where can people find you once again and get tickets, pre order the book, all that good stuff? Yeah. So, my social media, Instagram, I'm most active on. That's Tyler Henry Medium. And then my website is on the, the link in my bio. So, yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. This Amazing. was so fun. Thank good you, luck. Grace. Of course. Good luck with everything. I will try to text you only and uh, every time you go to the desert. Don't worry. <laughs> I love it. I look forward to seeing you again. Have a good of one. Of course. You too. We'll see you guys next time on Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Bye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep with Grace Helbig. Not too deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated. Producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post production sound by Chris Henry, and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. <laughs> <laughs>